Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunderland Preview Podcast. Sunderland's winning run came to an end last Saturday as we drew 1-1 with Lincoln City. However, despite not having a game in midweek, Blackpool's 3-1 win over Peterborough has the whole of Wearside dreaming of automatic promotion. On the flip side of that, we do face a return to the ground that saw our 1920 promotion push probably disintegrate before the whole world ended as we travel to Bristol Rovers' Memorial Stadium on Saturday. And to preview the game is a returning guest. We've got Max from the ever-popular Gascast. How are you doing? Are you all right, Max? Yeah, well, I've been better, but um, yeah, <laughs> recent results haven't been helping my mood, but generally I'm, I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Yeah. Good. Football aside, you're not too bad. Superb. Um, we'll start straight from the top, I think. Swindon Town at home, huge game, relegation six-pointer, chance for Joey Barton to put his market down. And you lose one nil. So, what went wrong on Tuesday? Well, um, we had a perfectly good goal ruled out for offside, which doesn't help. But um, it was a very cagey game, as you would expect in a six-pointer, especially at this stage. With it was ten games to go, um, I think both teams were trying not to lose rather than going out to win, uh, and we're just hoping to maybe snatch one of the one or two chances that came their way. For us, we, we did score our chance. It was just unfortunate that the linesman saw the player in an offside position out wide who wasn't interfering with the goalkeeper's line of sight but ruled it out. <clears throat> and for Swindon Town, they had one chance and they scored it. So, um, yeah, I mean, after they scored, I think it was on around 70, 75 minutes, our heads just dropped, which has been a consistent theme for us. Mentality-wise, we're not uh, a group who can come back after taking um, a hit like that in a game. Um, so it was just a familiar story, really. Um, you know, lack of commitment for the goal. You know, it was a free kick that hit the wall, came back out to a player, and not enough bodies trying to block it. Um, just lacks of lacks of days at all, lacks of days of defending, and uh, yeah, went in the back of the net from the rebound. So really frustrating one. Um, more frustrating than the goal we conceded was just the complete lack of a response in the final 15 minutes. Um, just panicking and misplacing passes, and like I said, that's just been. A running theme this season, uh, especially in relegation six pointers. Um, we've played 11 of those against the seven teams around us, and, and we've only won two. So that just sums up why we are down where we are. Yeah, I mean, games, I know a relegation battle, maybe in a different division, but I remember them frequently every season. And I think sometimes it came down to whether you won those games or whether you stayed up or not. So, so I imagine there's a little bit of fear then um, with you not winning the games. Yeah, well, the, the only team in the bottom seven that we're yet to play um, twice is is Northampton. They're our last fixture. Um, but like I said, you know, Burton got four points off of us. Rochdale, four points off of us. Wigan, four points off of us. Wimbledon, uh, one point off of us. But and, uh, yeah, Swindon, six points off of us. So if you don't win those games, or at least, you know, limited total, you're going to find yourself in the world of trouble. Uh, and ironically enough, you know, our, our better performance performances have been against sides who we haven't been expected to beat like Accrington and Portsmouth and Shrewsbury who were in good form at the time as well so yeah we're, we're a bit of a, a frustrating side because you know we, we have a good performance against a good side and then when it matters in the key games we just we just capitulate and then talking of games you've got coming up I was looking at your fixture list uh, I don't like to big Sunderland up too much because that always goes the way that you'd expect it to go but we're all in good form You've got us, Ipswich, Doncaster and Lincoln in four of your next uh, five games, I think. So I've probably asked this question already, but is a genuine concern that you're going to be sinking into League Two before you know it because of the games you've got coming up? Um, I, w- I would say yes, probably. Um, I think after last night's game, 
Joey Barton seemed very dejected in his post-match interview, um, was already talking about rebuild um, rather than the fight, which was a bit of a concern. But, um, you know, he'll he'll know the mood in camp better than anyone. But for the fan base, I think a lot of us do think that we're down just the complete lack of uh, ability to build on any positive momentum that we're building. Um, you know, we had a fantastic 4-1 win against Accrington Stanley not too long ago. And then, you know, the following, following game at home to AFC Wimbledon just nowhere near the levels that we were playing in that game and it does feel like with Rovers you know like I said a goal goes against us something doesn't go our way a decision and the whole team they're so young they're so young out there some of the lads and their heads just drop and we just need leaders in the side and and a spine which we just don't have so for me you know we can't bring anyone in time's running out with 10 games to go and I think if I'm honest the damage has largely been done over the past 30 games um and we're kind of staring down the barrel of the gun. Um, anything we can get now for me is a bonus. Uh, in my head last night, on the way home from the game, I was doing the commentary. I was thinking, yeah, we are 90% going to be in League Two next season, I think, um, from what I've seen. And if we do manage by some miracle to get two or three wins um, out of nowhere and, and be in for the fight, I'm just not convinced if it came down to the last day that we had would have the mental capacity to, to, to deliver and get over the line. But, um, you know hope there's the hope that kills you isn't it in football so who knows yeah it's very much uh i think you could apply that to most clubs across across the whole of the uk and probably beyond isn't it it's the hope that is clearly that's what keeps us going back now the last time we, we spoke obviously feels like forever ago because of the situation in the world and the situation in football but the last time we actually chatted phil parkinson was our manager ben garner was yours both of them have gone. Before we go on to the man that replaced him, and not for long, um, how do you view the the Ben Garner era of Bristol Rovers now that you're, you're out of it? Well, pretty appalling, if I'm honest. Um, he only had two wins in 20-odd um, games in his first season since taking over. His second win was um, against yourselves on the final day. And uh, that's probably the worst thing that could have happened to the club was was to win that match, because I think had he not won it, he would have been let go that summer. Um would have been given the sack, I think, and we would have got someone else in. But he was given a chance that kind of gave us a little lift at the end of the season and, and going into the summer, he was backed quite heavily. Um, he brought in more under-23 players. The strategy for him was definitely to bring in um, young League One players who he could develop and then put, turn into championship-ready players when they turned 24-25 to kick us on. But we just went all in on the strategy, um, absolutely all in. Everyone who was brought in bar maybe Max Aimer and Jack Baldwin at, at centre-back was was under the age of 24 um, and certainly not League One ready. So um, it's just been a disaster. I think I think Garner, arguably he's got the best, well, he has statistically got the best points per game of either of the th- any of the three managers this season. But for me, um, it was starting to decline under him. We were, we were pushovers, we were a bit lightweight. Um, the wins we did have were pretty much undeserved, you know, kind of fluky um, against the XG and just like some some lucky defending. Um, so I think he did have to go when when he did go. Um, I think it was a bad appointment uh, at the wrong time when we were flying high in the league. I think we probably should have brought in someone who could have just seen us over the line or at least get, had us as, in a solid finish rather than two wins in 20. But for this this season, I think... The summer strategy was was bad and that's all down to him and we're kind of paying the price for it now. I think Sunderland fans are no stranger to managerial upheaval, shall we say, but you now want to manager number three as we touched on with Joey Barton. Paul Tisdale was the man in between Garner and Barton. Um, 
I've kind of looked at obviously statistically how many games did he win? It wasn't many. He was sacked in February after losing, I think it was 11 of 15. But from a, a fan's perspective, do you feel like three months was like long enough to judge a manager? Was he really that bad? Yeah, he was that bad. Um, <laughs> he was tra- some of the stuff he was saying, and and just you could just tell the players weren't responding to him. Tisdale's a very um, mag- magnanimous character. He's very uh, distant. He doesn't really put his arm around players. He sees himself almost as above the game, like like a like a student of the game who's not really you know one to be in 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 the dressing room and you know with the lads who the lads can kind of relate to and respond to. He's very much um, an on paper. Th- football purist in his kind of like he likes theory and that kind of thing and it just wasn't a good fit at all um we started well under him we got a, a good response initially as as you tend to do with a new manager have a bit of a bounce changing formation just freshen a few things up um but yeah uh, you could just tell as it went on that he was either losing the players very very quickly and he had very little ideas on what to do um, to fix it and and the biggest crime for me was the January transfer window when it was clearly obvious that we needed the experience through the door we needed a striker up front given that we went into the season with three strikers with next to no uh, league one experience bar Brandon Hanlon and um, we just didn't sign anyone we signed George Williams at right back from MK Dons and a cover goalkeeper and that was it um, we signed those two very early on in the window and it was very obvious that we needed maybe two three more bodies through the door definitely a striker he went all out for Jaden Stockley, who he obviously managed to Exeter City. Didn't get him because he obviously went to Charlton, who were paying more money. And then um, I think with 11 days to the left of the window, he pretty much said, well, if I can't get Stockley, then I don't want anyone. So um, I'll just sit on my hands. And um, for me, when the transfer window slammed shut and we had no more reinforcements in my head, I was thinking it's a hell of a job now to keep us up because we are in the worst form in the division. We've got a manager who clearly isn't doing very well with the players and he's just decided not to strengthen either so where does that leave us um and you know lo and behold two three weeks later he was sacked um when the damage was already done you must be tearing your hair out as well because obviously i had a few mansfield fans on a preview show because we played mansfield in the fa cup and it was just as your previous manager had been relieved of his duties now, I remember, obviously, I think you were fifth when he went. Um, you had arguably the best striker in the division at the time. You look at that whole situation. He went, I think, for family reasons at the time. Hasn't worked out. He's been sacked. He's sitting, as far as I'm aware, unemployed. You've gone through three different managers who have three different theories and thoughts on the game. Um, do you kind of almost wish you could go back to that being fifth in the league and just convince Graham Cockland to stay, maybe? I think he would. I think he'd want to convince himself to stay as well. If I'm honest, um, although he has just um, he has just taken up a role at, as under 23s coach at Sheffield United um, as of this week. So not a bad job. It's, it's a good job for him and less pressure, obviously, as well. Um, I think with Coughlin is he was a good fit for us at the time. He obviously had a good thing going. His is had a very direct style that worked at this level when you have a striker like Clark Harris, mm-hmm. um, and it it was just a good thing we had and. Um, we just decided to change it completely. Um, you know, we couldn't really stop him leaving. That was his decision, family reasons. Um, once he was gone, what we did have control of is what our next step was. And that would that should have been, with us fifth in the league, to find someone who can play a similar style to keep things moving in the same direction. And what we did was we brought in a, a manager who'd only managed at under-23 level, who had no league experience, who liked to play possession football. And it was just the wrong fit. Um, 
lo and behold, we we tumbled down the league um, because we had players that didn't fit that style. So, yeah, and, and excuse me, and looking looking at the appointments we've made this season, there's just no consistency to what we're trying to do as a club. You know, Ghana, obviously, we were all bought into the idea of young players and trying to develop them and play possession football once he had a summer window to bring in players of that mould. It obviously didn't work too well. And then to bring in Tisdale, who's a completely different style of manager, and now Joey Barton to, to play firefighter when really that's not something he's ever done before either. So three different styles of manager. You just have to question what the what the plan is at Rovers, really. It's We're just weird, going from ma- manager to manager. And, and just there's no, there's no... They keep talking about DNA in the press conferences and the Rovers' DNA, but there's no consistency at all between the approach we're going for. It's three different approaches, three different tactical styles and three different characters completely. I mean, I won't go in too difficult and, and too hard on Joey Barton, but I suppose many Sunderland fans could, but Joey Barton's so different to Paul Tisdale. Like, Joey Barton is almost like one of the lads. I think he had that kind of camaraderie-ness at, at Fleetwood where it was almost like siege mentality. People started disliking Fleetwood. Obviously, he did it an awful lot against us. I don't think we've ever beat Fleetwood when he was in charge, and that changed the first game we played them without Joey Barton. But he's vastly different to everyone else um, that you've had previously. But we were talking a little bit last night, and I think it's fair to say your words were you you were going to put your head through a brick wall. Um, On your third manager of the season, I know there's a million and one reasons when things go wrong, a million and one. Um, But if you had... uh, get the fans' opinion on what the, the one thing, the one problem that has put you in the position that it's in and caused the horrible season that you have, and what would be the thing you would pinpoint? Not strengthening in January, uh, for sure. Um, like I said, the, the squad we assembled in the summer, largely players who either had not played at senior level before or were under the age of 23. Um, like I said, the exceptions of Max Aber and Jack Baldwin, but everyone else pretty much to a T. Um, incredibly inexperienced, obviously high potential, but if you go all out on a squad like that with no real ex- experienced spine, then you're going to run into problems, especially if you find yourself in a relegation fight. You need fighters, you need players who have been there and done it before. And um, came to the January window and we just, we signed a right back and a keeper to cover an injury and that was it. And, and we were all just screaming like, why are we not strengthening here? It's obvious we're on a bad run and we're near the bottom of the table and we need reinforcements. And for Paul Tisdale, I don't know if it was arrogance or frustration just to say, well, if I can't get to, if I can't get um, Stockley, then I don't want anyone. Um, it's just, yeah, it was so, so frustrating. Um, Cause then we effectively have to go into the second half of the season with the same players, but now with a worse mentality and on a downward trajectory, having had two managers and a third manager coming in, just to, to, to kind of build any kind of momentum becomes very difficult. So I would definitely say not signing key players in January. And I think had we had Joey Barton when Paul Tisdale came in, I think we'd probably be a lot better off than we currently are because he would have strengthened in, in the areas where we need experience. Always have more contacts there as well, I suppose. Not replacing Tisdale earlier and maybe bringing Barton in probably is an, another thing you could look at because see what you want about Joey Barton. He's got contacts in there especially at this level, as people who could have potentially brought in. Um, while we're on recruitment, it would be wrong of me not to ask, but Jack Baldwin, kind of a Marmite figure at Sunderland, great on his day, had a great start, and then just didn't live up to the hype and, and seemed to falter under pressure, um, unfortunately for us. But how's he done for Bristol Rovers? How's he got on? Been a bit of a Marmite figure, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, Yeah, well, he is exactly what you said he was um, when we spoke in the summer. 
um, on Twitter about it, and um, he's got a mistake in him. And you know, it's happened a few times. It happened last night. He um, gave away a clumsy free kick, which led to their goal. Um, he's given away cheap goals in the past, but he has had other games where he's been our best player. So he's very frustrating. And and I think for most sides in this division, he would probably be a fine centre-back. But when you're struggling like we are and you're near the bottom, you can't afford uh, mistakes like that in games because you just, when you're holding onto a lead or you're you're drawing and you're trying to push for a winner and you just concede a mistake like that at the back, it's so, so costly. And especially when our team is this mentally fragile that we just don't recover from those positions so yeah he's yeah he he's definitely a marmite figure some people are saying you know just get rid of him and, and play Alfie Kilgore and Kean Harry's but both of those are so inexperienced as well that Max Aim has been ostracized from the from from the club as well so it's we're just a mess at the back we're kind of relying on players who've got mistakes in them like like Baldwin and Leahy to kind of lead by example but you know, there's a, there's only a matter of time before they give away another mistake and, and concede another goal. It, it feels, yeah, Jack, that sounds like the Jack Baldwin I remember. Seemed like a really lovely fella, came across very well on the Netflix show, one of few that came across well on that, to be fair. Um, and you could have man of the match performances, like I think Bradford away comes out of my mind where I think he even scored the winner. And then you've got 5-4 against Coventry, where I think he was culpable for at least four of the goals. So mm. that, that does feel a bit like Jack Baldwin. You touched on um, Max Aimer there, who I thought was a really good signing in the summer. He played very well for us last year at Gillingham uh, against us. Uh, sorry, for Gillingham. Always kind of put in good performances when I'd seen him. Um, he's been ostracised. What, what's happened there? Well, he was appointed captain in the summer, um, mm-hmm. but he's that. been an incredibly poor performer um, throughout the season. Uh, Gillingham fans said he wasn't a vocal captain for them. He was kind of a captain leading by example, but he is massively underperforming in a back three and a back four. Um, He's just not done the business. And in fact, he's been responsible for a lot of goals. Um, Just generally like a four or five out of 10 every week um, at centre-back, not winning enough headers, not commanding or, or, or dictating play from back. Um, not talking too much to his teammates and certainly um, being at fault for a few goals. And I think that kind of culminated at the 6-1 loss to Accrington in uh, in February, the start of February. And um, he was at fault for probably four of the six goals, just completely let his man go on several occasions, jogging back when a player sprinting through on goal. And that was his man. And I think at that point, it was pretty obvious that he he just didn't care Um didn't have the right attitude. Um, he didn't even put out an apology as, as captain of the football club after that defeat. Um, we were saying on the podcast the next day for nobody to come out of the football club and say, we apologise to the fans for the defeat and the manner of the defeat. It's unacceptable when we bounce back. And there was just nothing. Just shows how ineffective a leader of the dressing room he was and, in, and indeed as a player. So I think from that point on, his, 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 right, the writing was on the wall for him. He's been frozen out of the squad uh, for, for the most part since then. Um, Joey Barton gave him a chance this past couple of weeks, but both times he's been hooked off at halftime. So, um, yeah, he's either had a clash with Joey or um, just has fallen out with most of the squad. And it's, it's pretty obvious. I think he's going to leave in the summer. And um, I think he, he'll, he'll have a good choice of League One clubs to go to. Um, but for whatever reason at Rovers, it's, it's just not worked out. Talking about Joey Barton, um, we have to come on to him. Obviously, it's there's a thing between both of us that touched on before, but... I've noticed in these press conferences in the past few weeks when he's been speaking about the games, he does seem a bit 
dejected for one, but he also seems to have a bit of frustration at the players and how the players are performing. Do you think he's kind of already worked out, such as Maxima, which players he knows are not going to be with him in the trenches, basically? Has he worked that out quite fast, do you think? I think he's figured it out, and I think he's maybe realised it's too many players. Mm. Um, I don't think he can field an 11 he's happy with um, because there's too many who just aren't up for the fight. Um, He... I think uh, it was either yesterday or today. He put an interview saying that he feels like he's a, he's a surgeon and there's there's a cancer he needs to remove from the club and in terms of attitude and culture, and he can't do that until he has a transfer window. Um, which is, you know, I, I don't I disagree with the way he's been talking in the press and and almost like alienating a few players when it's quite obvious he's probably going to need to rely on a few of them before the season ends. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's it's a bit questionable the way he's going about it, but. Um, maybe it's a gambit. He's trying to maybe up a few of their games. A few of them need to realise that um, they're out of contract in the summer as well. And if they don't get their acts together, they might not play at the level they, they want to play at. With Joey Barton, it's a manager I don't think anyone necessarily wants, if I'm completely not the honest with you. I think a lot of people look at Joey Barton going, not at my club. But then, as we spoke sort of off air before, I spoke to Fleetwood fans to say, well, once he's yours, he's kind of, you, you quite like him. And it sort of changes, but it's very early in his, his tenure. It's probably difficult to make an assumption on how you really feel about him. But in the first few weeks, based on his demeanour, what he said in the press conferences and the way he's coming across as manager of the football club, how are the fans and yourself taken to him? Yeah, quite warmly, I would think. I think a lot of people were against it, myself uh, partially included in that. I was kind of wary of, obviously, his history. Um, but, you know, once he's appointed, you can't do anything to change it. You can't, you know, have a mass protest outside the ground saying, get him out. Um, you have to get behind him, especially when you're in a, in a relegation dogfight and you need to kind of have a bit of unity at the club to hope you can survive. Um, and he's certainly saying all the right things, talking about, um, you know, can't wait to get the fans back and trying to build a culture of um, us being like united rather than you know split as we were under Tisdale a lot of people felt very distant from the club especially with Garner as well didn't feel very attached to him so he's definitely tried to build a relationship with the fans even with the fans not in the ground he's very active on Twitter um, posts posts messages of support after games and um, pictures of, of letters fans are sending him so he's definitely trying to ingrain himself of the culture of Rovers he's using the right terminology so he talks about the mem and uh, the history of the club he's done his homework for sure and he's kind of stands out in that aspect versus Tisdale who just kind of rocked up another league one job Um, I'm I've done this before I know what I'm doing I can do a job here and then just complaining when it went wrong and left and never really felt any attachment to him And, and Barton's definitely going for that angle now in terms of whether I'm a massive fan of him yet. It's it, it's still very early and um, I am finding some of his recent presses a bit harder to swallow than than, it, than his PR campaign at the start of his tenure because it, the results aren't there at the minute. Um, and, you know, when you do have a run of losses, I think we've lost five on the bounce away from home, um, it does start to wear a bit thin. All the, all the positivity, is it does kind of wane on you a bit, I guess. With um, Joey Barton coming up against us on Saturday, I think when he was at Fleetwood, he, he very often made it Joey Barton versus Sunderland. And I think even Fleetwood fans felt like that and they didn't care because we never beat them. Do you think that could work in your favour on Saturday? The fact that like there will be an, an onus 
away from Bristol Rovers as a team, a little bit will be on Joey Barton versus Sunderland because of previous. Well, I hope so. I, I think we need an extra incentive into this match beyond, you know, relegation strugglers versus promotion chasers because usually it's the latter that comes out on top in those exchanges, especially when you have a team low on confidence. So we definitely need some kind of edge to give the game something else um, to maybe turn it in our favour. You know, in some games you have an incident like a red card or a controversial decision that kind of can rejuvenate a side. And if, if there's something like that in this game with Joey Barton having maybe a grudge against Sunderland and the size of the club in this level, um, you know, we've all seen the, um, the the clip of the Fleetwood documentary that's not been aired of, of him saying, you know, the, the barbarians are at the gates and trying to G up the team. Yeah, that's all, that's all very well when you've got fans in the ground, but when it's empty stadiums and there's no real fire or connection with the ground they're playing in, it's very hard, I think, for, for Barton to, to have that siege mentality at the minute at Rovers. Yeah, and I think he thrives off it, doesn't he? I think he thrives off that us-against-the-world thing, almost kind of like Paolo Di Canio tried to do it with us, and obviously that failed and didn't do very well. But I think Joey Barton's had a, a marginal, well, a lot more success than he has um, in most recent years. Now, we played each other on opening day of the season, and last time we previewed it, it was kind of like we hadn't played for six months. It, the players were totally different. Everything had changed. And we had a conversation about um, Johnson Clark Harris, now, you mentioned that the way that Ben Garner was playing kind of didn't play with strength. So, like, were you really going to be losing that much because he's probably not going to be involved in the same way that he was um, under Graham Cochran? But you've gone into the season, I was looking at the table, you're currently the third lowest goal scorers, I think, behind Northampton and AFC Wimbledon. And Johnson Clark Harris is still up there in the goal scoring charts but six months on do you view the move any differently to how we thought it would have went or do you think it still would have just went that like south anyway with the fact that Garner played not to his strengths um well the the, the problem with losing him is is that you've got to replace him mm-hmm. um and you know it's all very well saying replace a 20 25 goal striker you just can't do that at this level but at least replace him with a 15. 16 goal striker um other other teams around us have done it um you look at Gillingham they've got some fantastic goal scorers at that club which they picked up on free transfers um and we we signed Brandon Hanlon who had barely a full season at Gillingham and he played on wing um as as our main replacement for Clark Harris and he's only got nine goals I think um to this day uh Brandon Hanlon and his hold-up play is just abysmal um, he's got a dreadful touch and we can't build anything around him. So we've had to rely on our, our backup striker who we signed from Havant and Waterlooville, Jonah Ayunga, to kind of be the anchor point. And uh, yeah, Jonah's done really well. He's he's developed well over the season. Now he's kind of up to speed with the level versus when he started. I remember him coming on against you guys on the opening day and he looked so rusty and so raw. Um, but in recent games, he's looked really sharp, really tidy, turns nicely, holds the ball up well. So we have strikers who they don't score goals ultimately that's the problem you know Hanlon's got good pace on him he's got a few tricks and and Iunga's got really good hold at play and strength and he's probably one of the biggest blokes you'll ever see uh, at this level he looks like a rugby player honestly um but they don't score goals um Iunga had a brilliant chance to to score an equalizer last night he chested it down in the box in five yards of space and just scuffed it with his weak foot um and, and that's that's the difference. I mean, losing Clark Harris, obviously every team in, in the league would suffer from losing a goal scorer like that. But if you replace it with 
you know, a guy who played on wing for Gillingham and a guy from Haven and Waterlooville in, in the National League South, you're just asking for trouble, I'm afraid. So when you're mentioning about the strikers that you brought in, because Brandon Hannon's done all right against us last season, um, but he is very much a different striker at the very least um, to Johnson Clark Harris. He's more like a over-the-shoulder winger. He's not going to score you 25 goals. I'd be surprised if he got the, the sort of 15. But a lot of it comes back through the conversation that we've had, uh, recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. Again, another thing something to failed with a lot of the time in recent years. Um, is there anyone in specific that's in charge of recruitment at the club? Or has it been a case of because you've had different managers, you've had basically different managers having players that they probably didn't want that they're, they're forced to play with, as you touched on before? We have a director of football, Tommy Widrington, um, and he's he's kind of, well, he was head scout um, at the start of the season and Ben Garner would tell him what kind of player he wants, what kind of age, and he would go out and find him someone. Um, so his, his role was ultimately to f- expand kind of the, the pool of available players and present them to the manager. The manager always has final say at Rovers um, and they can use their own contacts, of course. If um, Ben Garner brought with James Daly with him, who he worked with at Crystal Palace, um, so, you know, the manager's always got final say and, and, and decisions on, on the direction that they want to go in with the recruitment. But yeah, Tommy Woodrington is in charge of head of scouting, really, and just provides good options. Well, su- supposed to provide good options, but um, yeah, the options he's provided clearly haven't been up to the League One standard. Um, when Tisdale came in, obviously, he went after George Williams from MK Dons, who he worked with when he was manager there. And he also went after um, Jaden Stockley, who he'd previously worked with. So to me, that indicated that he didn't like anything Tommy Woodrington was offering him. Um, he wasn't keen on any of any of the, the suggestions of signings. And um, his own personal scouting range clearly wasn't uh, up to scratch either because he just opted to sign no one there. So, yeah, we work with the director of football now. Uh, he's been promoted, which is baffling to me considering he's largely not done too well as, as, as a head scout. Um, albeit he did bring in Johnson Clark Harris. Um, so yeah, I mean Joey Barton. I don't think he's gonna he's gonna lean into Woodrington too much. He'll have his own ideas on who's good at this level. He's managed at League One for a couple of seasons, so he knows who's good at this level and who isn't. Um, looks like he are probably going to go down to League Two though, so maybe he will have to lean into those contacts a bit more. So moving away from obviously Bristol Rovers ever so slightly, uh, going on to Saturday's game. As I've said before, we're in great form. Uh, we're looking to continue that, obviously, against Bristol Rovers. We want to be going there and, and winning the game. If we've got anything about ourselves, we can kind of have to. But where do you worry that someone could damage you? Where are you weak and where do you find us particularly strong? That's a good question. Um, and it's not something I can always pinpoint with Rovers because a lot of games we look largely competent. We look fine. Um, and then it's just a mistake. It's a defensive mistake or a bit of pace to get in behind um, a half chance that's scored by the opposition. And um, I would say the mentality is what Sunderland should target, because if you score early, you're probably going to win the game. Um, Rovers have a tendency to just drop heads when things don't go our way. Um, We saw it recently at Charlton. We went 2-0 up, brilliant start to the match. And then straight from kickoff, um, they pull one back. And as soon as it was 2-1, I was opening my betting app and putting £10 on, on Charlton to win because it was just obvious what was going to happen next. The players were panicking. They were too rushed on the ball, um, trying to make make amends for the mistakes and just overcompensating and, and not keeping it simple and sticking to the game plan. 
And um, it was 2-2 at half time, And I had every confidence that in the second half, Charlton would score the third. And they did. Um, it's just so predictable with Rovers. You know, con- concede a goal against the run of play or, or even early on. And we just don't have it in us to, to fight um, on the pitch and, and stick to a game plan. We just panic and start hoofing it long. And I would say the plan for Sunderland probably should be to attack fast and attack early. Where do you think the fragility comes from? Do you think it's just the age of the players you got on the pitch? Um, yeah, I would say the inexperience of the younger players, but the older players we do have in the squad don't have the that killer instinct, I don't think, either. Um, likes of Tony Craig last season, an absolute warrior uh, he is, um, was released. He signed for Crawley Town and you know, we've we've really missed him, a player like him. Jono was the same. He was a winner by by nature. Uh, we've all seen, you know, that killer instinct he's got up front. And um, Abu Agogo in midfield, just heart and desire. And we just didn't have that spine this year. And it just like the players like Jack Baldwin, Max Aimer, even Luke Leahy, who I think has been one of our better players this season, just the heads drop. Um, and you need those, those senior players to lead by example and say to the younger lads, we're still in this match. There's still 20... 15, 20 minutes left. Like last night, we go 1-0 down. There's, there's, I think there's 16, 17 minutes left of the game. We gave up, just gave up. Um, and you really need somebody to just grab the team by the scruff of the neck and say, we have 20 minutes here, let's go get a goal. Um, and we just don't have that, I'm afraid. So, yeah. From a, a Bristol Rovers perspective, I'll be honest, you sound quite um, exasperated. And I think you're probably not surprised to hear me say that. From a Sunderland perspective, I probably sound dead chilled and, and happy as Larry. Um, we only really watch our own team, if we're honest. We'll watch Quest for five minutes here or there. Some of us some of us all know a little bit more about other teams than others. But we only really watch our own team, especially in the current world that we have. But from what you know, from the outside looking in, if you were a betting man, which you said before you were, um, do you expect Sunderland to be in one of those automatic promotion spots come season end? It's a tough one. There's there's a few teams who ebb and flow. I think Hull are probably the best team I've seen this season. Um, Peterborough. Um, Peterborough were decent the two times I saw them play. Um, with a striker like Clark Harris, they can win any game, even from a losing position. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, the only time I've seen Sunderland has been the opening day of the season where I thought you were largely the better side. Um, just we were defending bodies on the line which we haven't really seen since um but um yeah i, I would i would say you have a, a you know i think it's two from three between hull um peterborough and, and yourselves i'd agree so with i think that. you've got you, you've got every chance i reckon even in playoffs fingers crossed it's us i don't want to do playoffs um <laughs> and always as I always ask, I've never got one of them right this this season. I was going to go 1-1 one, one last week and I decided to go and be more positive and said 2-1. Unfortunately, it was 1-1, one, one, so I was wrong again. Um, but score predictions, I'm going to go with... Um, well, it's been 2-0 whenever we've played at the Mem uh, to either side. So I'm going to go 2-0 Sunderland. But what's your predictions for Saturday? I'm also going to go with 2-0 to Sunderland for pretty much the exact reason. I don't know if it's like, it's just Im- embedded in my memory that um, the past couple of encounters have been 2-0. But yeah, I, I don't see us scoring. Um, we've not looked bright in front of goal for a few games. Um, and yeah, I, I think the quality Sunderland possess is just going to be too much for us at a time where we're pretty pretty mentally fragile. Fingers crossed, for me anyway. But um, <laughs> good luck for the rest of the season after Saturday. Um Thank you. 
kind of you have got Joey Barton on your hand so you've kind of soured the relationship a bit there Max but thanks as always for coming back on I always appreciate it you always speak well um, and genuinely though good luck for the rest of the season after Saturday mate thank you I hope to speak to you next season mate fingers well I don't well actually I no now I've said that <laughs> <laughs> I just realised what that means <laughs> but we are something we probably will mate so who knows <laughs>